Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts and chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And if you would uh, pray with me one more time. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the privilege we have as a church to commission and send out workers for the sake of your name among the nations, for your gospel to be proclaimed. As we consider their task this morning, we pray that you would give us understanding, help us to see Christ in the scriptures and the great calling that he places upon ministers of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. You know, at Christmas season, we sing some very, very significant truths. But oftentimes, the familiarity of the carols that we sing causes us to fail to consider the realities that we are singing about. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. This is speaking of the fact that God Almighty has sent his own son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who was crucified, bore the judgment for our sins, rose again from the dead, and through him, God is making all things new. The curse that exists upon this world, upon this planet, because of sin, the curse of sorrow and death, shall be overcome and overturned through the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And his blessing will flow far as the curse is found throughout the inhabited world. So a question this morning, how? How does he make his blessing flow far as the curse is found? And the answer is, he does so through the proclamation of the gospel in faithful, biblical, local churches all across the planet. ECC, God has given us the great privilege of participating in bringing this blessing of good news, of the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations by planting churches that will proclaim Christ. And he has given us men such as Pastor Wiley and Pastor Sham, whom we will commission today and send out to plant churches that will proclaim Christ and Him crucified, to bring the blessing of good news far as the curse is found. Brothers, I want to speak to you. You both have been gifts to ECC and to me personally. Words cannot express how grateful I am for your dear friendship for your partnership in the gospel, for your godly example to me and to members of this flock, the blessing that you have been 
both to me personally and to this congregation. And today, we rejoice that as a church, we have the privilege of commissioning and sending you brothers out to proclaim the gospel and to establish new churches that will be centered on Christ and His Word. So as we do this, as we send you out, I want us this morning to consider what the Bible says concerning your ministry as church planting pastors. And to do that, we're going to look at the closing words of the Apostle Paul to the elders of the church in Ephesus, the church that he labored to establish in Ephesus. The context, many of you might know, is that this church in Ephesus had been formed by the Apostle Paul and his team of missionaries. They themselves had been sent out from the church in Antioch to proclaim the gospel and plant churches. And now Paul is visiting this people one last time before he heads to Jerusalem, where he knows that the path onward is going to take him through several trials and ultimately to certain death. And this is his kind of his farewell speech to the church, to the elders of the church. Let's read from Acts 20, verse 17 and following. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw the disciples away after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed 
to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So in this text, Paul is speaking with deep passion from the heart to men whom he had personally discipled and raised up as elders. He is pointing these men to his own pastoral example. He is leaving them with the legacy of his own ministry as a church-planting pastor among them. Uh, The men to whom Paul is speaking, if you haven't noticed already, in verse 17, these are the elders of the church in Ephesus. They are the appointed pastors or shepherds who have been appointed to lead this church. And as Paul is saying goodbye, he's giving them his final charge. What does he appeal to? He says, I'm going. Here's what you need to do. Simply says, do what you saw me do. He points them to his example. Verse 18, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Paul prepared these elders for their task through his own example of pastoral ministry among them. And by looking at Paul's pastoral example to the Ephesian elders, we gain a vision for what the ministry of a pastor, of a church planter ought to be. This is the kind of ministry, Wiley and Sham, that we are praying and hoping you will, by God's grace, fulfill. And this is the kind of ministry, dear ECC, that we always ought to expect and look for from any man whom we appoint to serve as a pastor, whether at our own church or if it's someone we're sending out to pastor in other churches. So as we look at this text, we'll see five aspects of the ministry of a church planter that you brothers must fulfill. In fact, five aspects of pastoral ministry that all pastors are called to fulfill from Paul's example. First and most fundamentally is this. Pastoral ministry, church planting, is a ministry of proclamation. A ministry of proclamation. First and foremost, your call, as is the call of every pastor, every missionary, every church planter, is a ministry of proclamation. You must proclaim God's truth. Throughout this text, I want you to notice the emphasis on verbs of speech, of proclamation, of speaking. Notice verse 20. Let's look at the text. Verse 20. Paul says, I did not shrink from declaring, declaring, announcing to you anything that was profitable. And teaching teaching in public and from house to house. Verse 21, testifying, bearing witness 
to both Jews and to Greeks. Once again, in verse 24, he says, I want to finish my course on the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify, to bear witness to the gospel of the grace of God. Next verse, verse 25. I have gone about proclaiming, preaching the kingdom. And again in verse 27, I did not shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. Verse 31. Remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Again and again and again, we see this emphasis on proclamation, on speaking. Friends, the gospel, Christianity itself, is a message. It's a doctrine. It's a system of belief that has been revealed to us that has been communicated to us in words, in the Holy Scriptures. Notice the content of what Paul preaches, of what he declares. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything, verse 20, anything that was profitable. The gospel is profitable to the souls of men, in an eternal sense. He says, verse 21, I testify to you. What is the content of what he testified? Not just his own personal story. No, he testified concerning repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith. These are the twin pillars of the gospel message, calling people to repent from sins and to trust in Jesus Christ and what he has done. Again in verse 22, what does he say that he spoke of? Verse 20, 24, I'm sorry. He says, I testified to the gospel. What is the gospel about? He says, the gospel of the grace of God, that salvation, the forgiveness of sins, and eternal life has been given as a free gift through the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, for whomever will repent and believe. This is an act of God's grace. Verse 25, he says, I proclaimed the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven and of our Lord Jesus Christ, that God is making all things new, that Jesus will make the nations prove the glories of his righteousness as he rules over heaven and earth. We are proclaiming the rule and reign of our risen Lord Jesus Christ. We saw verse 31, Paul continued to admonish them with tears. There is a component of gospel ministry that involves correction, warning, cautioning people, admonishing them. Maybe you're here this morning dear friend, and you do not know Jesus. And we want to speak to you concerning this gospel that we are sending out these brothers to proclaim. The gospel message says this, 
that God is holy and almighty. He is our creator. And we, human beings, have been made in his image for fellowship with him, but we have rebelled and sinned against him. All of us are sinners. All of us fall short of God's standard and stand condemned in his sight. And the holy and just and righteous judge of all the earth will judge us and condemn us under his wrath for our sin and rebellion. And yet God has shown his grace and mercy and love in this, that he has sent his own Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son eternal, who took on flesh and died on the cross, bearing the penalty for sin, bearing the wrath of God, taking the judgment for whomever will repent of sin and put their trust in him. Jesus Christ is now raised from the dead, and he calls all men everywhere, men and women, he calls all persons everywhere to repent from sin and put their trust in him. And by believing in him, we have the forgiveness of sin and eternal life and hope and joy and peace. And so if you are here this morning and Jesus is not your Lord, if you have not trusted in him, we want to call you, we want to, I want to proclaim to you this message that forgiveness of sins and new life can be yours today. And so I appeal to you to turn away from sin and trust in this Savior who is mighty and willing to save even you. And any of us would be glad to talk with you more about Jesus. Just grab any one of the members of this church after this service, and we'd love to share with you more about that. Paul is speaking of this message that he went about proclaiming in chapter 20, and he calls it the whole counsel of God. Did you see that in verse 28, uh, 29? 28, 27, sorry. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. This is the content of Paul's teaching, the proclamation of God's plan of salvation from end to end, from creation to new creation, from all of the scriptures. Brothers, this is your task, your ministry, our ministry, the ministry to which God has appointed us is a ministry to proclaim the whole counsel of God. And so I want to charge you to be those who rightly handle the word of truth, to preach the whole counsel of God, preach the Old Testament. Don't shrink back. Preach the New Testament. Preach and model sound doctrine. Give people good theology, rich teaching from the Bible. Show them how the whole Bible fits together and how all of Scripture points us to the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Open up the Bible and show them Christ in all of Scripture. Preach His kingdom, His gospel in the pulpit week after week. Teach them from house to house, in public and in private. Show them Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century, said this, he said, the work of preaching is the highest and greatest and most glorious calling to which anyone can ever be called. We have the awesome and fearful privilege 
of standing here and speaking for God himself. Of standing between heaven and hell. Of declaring truths to eternal souls whose destiny hangs upon this word. And so, brothers, I want to exhort and charge you to give it your all. To give yourself to study day and night. To give yourself to proclaim the scriptures with faithfulness. To fight laziness. That's a constant temptation. There's a constant temptation to shrink back. To proclaim those things that are nice and easy to say while avoiding the things that are hard to say. Oh, I face that temptation all the time. There's a temptation to just rely upon what you have already learned and not to keep on in the arduous task of study. And it's hard work. Preaching the gospel, preaching the Bible is hard work. I know you know this. Brothers, give yourself to that work by the might of the Spirit of God who works powerfully within you. And even in that, there is a word for us, dear brothers and sisters, to submit ourselves always to God's word, to the authority of God's word, to pray for the proclamation of God's word, for the faithful preaching of God's word, not only in this congregation, but in other congregations, in other churches. I charge you, ECC, to pray faithfully for these brothers in their preaching of the gospel, that they will be clear, that they will be bold, that they will declare the whole counsel of God and that it will bear fruit. Brothers, this is the basis on which the church is established, the proclamation of the whole counsel of God. Let them see Christ on display. Where do they encounter Christ? It's in your preaching and teaching. And let their hearts burn within them. So Paul's ministry was a ministry of proclamation, first and foremost. Second, it was a ministry of protection. Look at verses 28 to 31. He says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw the, away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Pastoral ministry is not merely a ministry of proclamation. It is equally a ministry of protection. I want you to notice what it says here in verse 28. Paul is speaking to the elders of the church, we saw. And he says that the Holy Spirit has appointed them as overseers. Did you see that? Pay a careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit is the one who appoints elders. This is His ministry in the body of Christ. The ministry of the Spirit is to appoint elders, shepherds, pastors who 
will feed the sheep, who will care for the sheep, who will protect the sheep. Brothers, you cannot do this alone. And the Holy Spirit calls and appoints men to the work of eldership, to the task of being an overseer through the normal means of discipleship and their desire to serve. This means that in order to fulfill your ministry of protection, of caring for the sheep in your churches, you should make it your priority and labor hard to raise up elders, to raise up fellow shepherds who will work alongside you to protect the flock. Sheep need protection. God's church needs elders who will protect it. The, in the early church, one of the great early church bishops, Irenaeus, says this. Of course, we all know that in the first 300 years of church history, the church was rocked by persecution, and there was constant attack from the outside. Christians were slaughtered and put to death, given to beasts in the Colosseum. But Irenaeus said this. He says that the church was more threatened by heresy inside than by persecution from the outside. That was true in Paul's day. That was true in the early church. And that is still true today. We see here first the seriousness of the charge. Verse 28, pay careful attention to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The people that we care for, the people that we are called to protect, are those who belong to God himself. The church of God, the people of God, are those whom we are charged with looking after. And these are the people whom God has obtained with his own blood. The Lord Jesus Christ died to save his church. The Son of God Almighty took on human flesh, poured out his blood, and died a shameful death under the wrath of God on a cross to establish his church. And that is the church that we are charged with protecting. We see the seriousness of the charge. Not only that, we see the seriousness of the threat. Verse 29, next verse. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Brothers, I want to encourage you to develop your protective instincts. Wolves do not always look like wolves. They come in looking innocent, or they come in looking very charismatic and very smart. They are those who appeal to people and try to win people after themselves. And they mix in error with the truth and lead people away from our Lord Jesus Christ. So develop your protective instincts. Study diligently, constantly. Fill yourself with the truths of God's word, being able to identify truth from falsehood. Learn to identify wolves. Teach your people how to identify wolves. 
and be ready to shoot some wolves. That's what shepherds do. It's not just a cozy ministry of having a good time and being nice and going over to people's homes and going out for coffee. Pastoral ministry inevitably involves confrontation, involves needing to deal with those who are on attack. This is why Scripture says that we must be slow in the laying on of hands, that we must be careful before appointing someone to leadership. But the fact is, you can do all of that. You can be very careful, you can be very cautious, and wolves still come in. So beware, brothers, and teach your people to beware, and work hard to guard the church. Put yourself between the wolves and the flock. So we see here the ministry of the word is fundamental and primary. Paul was committed to proclamation and protection. He raised up elders whom he charged to be committed to this. But pastoral ministry is more than that. It's a ministry of proclamation and protection. It is also a ministry of presence. The same Paul who was zealous to guard the church from wolves, who was zealous to preach and proclaim the whole counsel of God, was also a loving, tender shepherd who lived with his people, who invested himself in people's lives. This tender shepherd, he sets an example of living among the people, look at verse 18. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. He lived among them in such a way that when he's leaving, verse 37, there's weeping on the part of all that they embraced him and kissed him. There's such a tender bond between this shepherd and the church. He set them an example of living among them. He gave an example of humble service. Verse 19, he says, He served the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. With all humility. He set an example of hard work. Verses 33 to 35. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, of course, Scripture makes it clear that this was Paul's initiative. He worked as a church planter, supplying his own needs. At other seasons in his life, he was supported by several churches, as you brothers will be. So Scripture leaves it free for gospel workers either to engage in a bivocational ministry or to labor and be supported for the work of ministry by the churches. But nevertheless, it's still hard work, and we must give ourselves to work hard for the glory of Christ in His church, to be near God's people, to be with God's people. Of course, the, the example that Paul is following is the example of our Lord Jesus Christ, who came to us, who took on flesh, the ministry, the mystery of the incarnation that we proclaim and we think about at Christmas time, that the God 
of heaven and earth, God the Son Himself came and dwelled among us. And so, brothers, as you live among people, you are following the ministry of Paul and the ministry of Jesus. And this implies a commitment on your part, a commitment to the church, a commitment to God's people, even to those who are difficult to be with, to live in covenant relationship with other Christians. When you are criticized, when you're not heeded or listened to, still love them. Love them and be with them. Labor to love them. You know, when I was uh, in seminary and studying, and every one of us who enters the ministry often has this experience, don't we, where you are discovering and delighting in the truths of God, and you're excited and fired up about proclaiming and heralding those truths, preaching the scriptures, teaching the Bible, and you're excited of the ministry of proclamation, but we must remember that the ministry of proclamation becomes effective and real through a ministry of presence. And so I want to call you, Wiley and Sham, to a ministry of ordinary obedience, of caring for people, of weeping with those who weep, of rejoicing with those who rejoice, of loving people enough to know them by name and to pray for them daily by name. To have the joy of holding babies in the hospital and praising God with proud parents and to have the privilege of holding the hands of dying saints and praying with them as you prepare them for glory. And that's not just your ministry. You must lead others to do that. It's a ministry of obedience to which all of the body of Christ is called. And by your example, you want every member of the body of Christ to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice, and to love one another for the glory of God. And I can promise you this. Here's one promise I'll make for you today that is guaranteed to come true. Are you ready? It won't be easy. It will not be easy. It will be the hardest thing that you ever give yourself to. That's why you need to embody the fourth aspect of a church planter's ministry that we see in Paul's life. I told you it's a ministry of proclamation, a ministry of protection, a ministry of presence, but it is also a ministry of perseverance. Look at verses 22 to 24. Paul says, Behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to, be, to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. As you read the book of Acts, over and over and over again, we see the suffering of God's people and especially the suffering of the leaders of God's people. So look at Paul's life. Read 2 Corinthians. 
and see him recount his hardships. And of course, in this, it's obvious that we are following in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior. Our Lord Jesus Christ was a suffering Savior. His people in this world are a suffering people. And those whom Christ calls to lead and shepherd His people must be men who are well acquainted with suffering and sorrow and affliction. One of the great theologians of the 20th century, John Murray, one of my favorites, uh, he was teaching at seminary during World War II and speaking to these men who were called to pastoral ministry. Of course, these men are not on the battlefield. He says to them, you are being spared many of the bitter hardships through which so many of your contemporaries are called upon to pass. Of course, they were spared the battlefields of World War II. But then he says, But you are embarking upon a course that entails hardships of which the most of your contemporaries have not even dreamed. When the Lord called me to ministry, brothers, I could not have dreamed how hard it would be. But by His grace, you can persevere. By His grace and for His glory, we can finish the course. There will be trials and there will be tears. There will be wolves who attack and there will be those who are devoured. There will be those who walk away from the faith. There will be heartbreak and sorrow. There will be persecution. But you have a mighty Savior whose power works mightily within you. By His grace, you can labor and toil in faith. And you can finish the course in faithfulness, brothers. And so I want to charge, even as I speak about the hardships of ministry, I want to charge you, dear brothers and sisters at ECC, to pray for these brothers to labor in prayer for them before the throne of God day and night, knowing that what they are entering into is not a light work. It is hard and it is heavy. It involves many tears and many trials. Pray for me. Pray for your pastors. Pray that God would keep us faithful. Pray that we would finish the course. Pray that we would not fall away or fall apart. Pray that we would be faithful. Pray that Wiley and Sham would be faithful. Pray, pray, pray. And as we speak about prayer, that leads us to the last aspect of Paul's ministry that we see here. His ministry was a ministry of proclamation, of protection, of presence, of perseverance. And finally, his ministry, as ours, is to be a ministry of piety, a ministry of piety. Look at the end of this touching scene and we see something that has seemed so familiar for Paul with these people. Verse 36, when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all, because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. 
and they accompanied him to the ship. Paul kneels down with tears and prays with them one more time, leaving them this example, this beautiful example of piety. Throughout this passage, we see an emphasis on the life of holiness that he sought to live. Verse 18, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and trials. Verse 33, he says, I coveted no one's gold or silver or apparel, living with purity of heart, living in faithfulness, in holiness, being a person of prayer, of depending on God's strength. And this is what we are called to. I charge you, brothers, to live your lives with holiness, humility, purity, and prayer before the Lord as an example to your people of the love of Christ. And of course, as we think about that, as I think about that, we realize with conviction that we fall short, don't we? At the end of the day, all of these things, we're going to fail in one way or another. Not in a manner that is disqualifying, Lord willing, by His grace, but every day the weight of our own inadequacy, of our own fallenness, of our own flaws, of our own weakness hangs upon us. Paul himself said, who is sufficient for these things? There will be days and seasons when we lack piety. Brothers and sisters, if for some reason, for some strange reason, you thought that all pastors are perfect in holiness and prayer and have got it all figured out, I'm sorry to break the news to you, you're wrong. Right? We are imperfect, flawed, weak, insufficient, inadequate, fallen, frail men who are seeking by God's grace to lead and shepherd and preach and teach with the wisdom, the little wisdom that God generously bequeaths to us. So there will be seasons when piety is lacking. There will be seasons when your prayer life feels weak and insufficient. There will be seasons when you're studying the Bible and it just feels like a chore. There will be seasons when you struggle with covetousness in your heart, maybe even envying someone else's ministry, wishing that things were easier for you. There will be seasons where you are tempted to compromise your holiness. But in all of this, brothers, even as you struggle with all of these things, there's good news. There's good news and joy, not just for members of churches, but for pastors and church planters. Even as we are reminded that Jesus Christ not only died to save His sheep, but He also died and poured out His blood for the sake of those whom He calls to be His shepherds. And so it's to that gospel that we commend you now. And I want to close this morning on behalf of ECC with verse 32. As Paul spoke this blessing upon the elders in Ephesus, we speak this blessing upon you, my dear brothers, today. Now I commend you 
to God and to the word of His grace. It's His grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your life-giving word and for your grace. May your grace build up Wiley and Sham and give them the inheritance among all those who are sanctified, that they may keep a close watch on their life and doctrine and by doing so save themselves and those who hear them. In Jesus' name, amen.